Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today we're talking about the Defense Department and its desire to move to the commercial cloud. DOD held an industry day about its Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure, or JEDI, cloud initiative. In the first two segments of the show, I'll play excerpts from that Industry Day event. In the second two segments of the show, Alfred Rivera, the recently retired DIS executive who ran its cloud effort, offers some analysis about the JEDI approach and then talks about his career. First, we hear from Brigadier General David Crum, the Deputy Director for Requirements for the Joint Staff at the Pentagon. I'm the DOD guy for requirements. And what I'm going to try to do today is enlighten you to something you may not have known before, and that... We're not talking to you about an IT contract today. Now, realize I, I welcomed you all as ladies and gentlemen, and that was not my original opening line. My original opening line was, it's good to be with all the nerds and geeks from the software and computer industry. I was explicitly told I shouldn't use that line <laughs> because it might be offensive. And I said it's a badge of honor because we need you guys, and we need you guys to be a part of that. So. You're, I'm here today to talk to you about the journey that we're on, and this journey we're, we're going to take together. Well, actually, not with most of you. <laughs> but for some of you, it's going to be awesome. Because <laughs> we're going to talk about what the requirements mean. If you'll indulge me, we'll all talk about when I, what we mean when we talk about cloud computing. I'll, I'll approach it from the over senior leader viewpoints that I've gathered, but then I'm going to give you a little bit different perspective, and I hope you'll hang with me uh, for this. First off, I need you guys to know that this isn't an effort just by DDS. This is an effort for the entire Department of Defense. The Joint Requirements Oversight Council, or the JROC as we call it, that's chaired by the Vice Chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, that's General Paul Selva. The other voting members are the vice chief of staff of each of the uh, services, along with representation from across the DOD. So as you probably can tell, it's got great influence. And that group, with DDS as the catalyst, has defined the requirements for this project. Let there be no doubt, these requirements are demanding. They're tough. And they're actually what we need to kickstart DOD into using cloud computing. Let me give you that senior level viewpoint and then into the warfighters. That, and that lens that we're going to talk about, the warfighter's lens, that's something that I want you to take from today. Because when you only think about IT, you don't think about killing people and breaking things. This is not an IT project. We know that we in DOD must adapt to a cloud infrastructure and a platform service so that we can create a global, resilient, secure environment that enables warfighting across the globe. That includes mission command at the very tactical level up to the highest levels of government. That means we need greater lethality, agility, and improved decision-making from the soldier that's fighting hand-to-hand combat to the four-star making decisions with real-time data. The requirements mean that we're going to need to have resiliency. And for us, cloud resiliency means availability with no single points of failure across a very diverse geographical landscape in austere or connectivity-challenged areas. And it depends, and it's all over the globe. We need the cyber defenses to be robust, and they need them actually to augment what we already do and innovate with us, the DOD cyber forces. 
We have multiple cyber malicious activities ongoing with us every single day, and it will only increase with this initiative. We need you to make sure that your project allows our DOD cyber warriors to have access tools and system permissions to counter those cyber threats. We also need you to be able to train us. And I need to emphasize to you that this effort is going to continue. General Selva, through the JROC chair, has directed DDS to come back and give regular updates to the JROC on the status and the progress of this project. And when we do that, he and the other senior leaders are going to look for other ways to integrate more data and more sources, more programs, so that we can scale this for as much of the Department of Defense as we can. I know what you're thinking. Well, that sounds just like an IT project. It's not. In fact, if you're just here to bid on an IT project to bring your commercial business system, this is just another government project with low margins and a lot of frustration, you couldn't be more wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be more than an IT system. This is not email. This is not file storage. This is not data transfer. This is about how us and you, together, we're going to change the way that this nation, its soldiers, its sailors, its Marines, and its airmen fight and win our nation's wars. And if you're a student of military history, you know that lives have been saved and lost, and that battles and wars have been won or lost based upon either bad, no, or late information. This is what DOD knows now. It's something that all of you guys take for granted. It's kind of your bedrock when it comes to data, that the movement, the access, and the use of data in near instantaneous ways is a commonplace. It's not for us. It will be. And that's the only way we know that in the future that our warfighters across the globe are going to win. We need to take your commercial solutions, and we need to integrate them into the military. We need to put them on a global scale in both an unclassified and classified environment that information has to be available to the warfare on the tactical edge, not just the headquarters. It's got to be available anywhere, anytime. Whichever one of you wins this, I'm challenging you to bring your A game. This is not an IT project. This is going to make a difference like few things have, to get data to our warfighters when and where he or she needs it. It is not an IT contract. It is about ensuring that the women and men who fight our nation's war win, period. And if you're not prepared for that, you don't need to be here. That's what this is about. I need you all to understand that I'm, we're going to ask you to build a global fabric that encompasses both DOD military and civilians, and let there be no doubt that we will use this technology to make us more efficient. And we're going to make it more effective. And when we say effective, we mean more lethal. That means more bad guys meet their maker. That means more innocents are discriminated against the enemy, and they don't. It means we'll have the information we need exactly when we need it, and this is a critical part of where we're going, and you get to be a part of it. It's not an IT system. It is enabling the warfighter and fulfilling their requirements. But not only about being lethal, it's about coming home. 
Let's take a break. That was Brigadier General David Crum, the Deputy Director for Requirements for the Joint Staff at the Pentagon. Today, I'm playing excerpts from a DoD Jedi Cloud Industry Day. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, I'm playing excerpts from the DoD Jedi Cloud Industry Day. In this part of the show, you hear from Essie Miller, the acting DoD CIO, and then from Lieutenant Colonel Kate Myers, the Jedi Cloud Computing Program Manager. My world. 3.4 million users. Approximately 4 million endpoint devices. Over 1,700 data centers and approximately 500 different cloud initiatives across the department today. This is not about modernization. It's about hardening the surface that gives folks like Dave Crum the opportunity and the environment to successfully execute their mission. But to me, it means I live in a complex and a diverse world that I have an opportunity to do four things. To standardize, to simplify, and to secure so that our warfighters and our business operators can share. But in doing that, we can't lose sight that the protection of the data and the mission assurance are paramount to the safety of our warfighters. The technological advances that you bring to the table from the commercial environment make it compelling for me and the department to relook how we're doing security. So I want to spend just a couple minutes answering those compelling questions. If I were sitting with you, you would ask. Number one, we just sat in an industry day on MillCloud 2.0 a few weeks ago at DISA. How does that differ from what we're doing with Jedi? I would tell you, we're thinking about this holistically and the two are very complementary, and one not to be discounted for the other as you look at and review the RFP. This is about understanding what information and capability are critical enough that we have to keep it on-prem because we need it closest, and what are those functional areas and opportunities that are ripe for transitioning to a commercial environment, and how do we do that in a way again, that it's still protected. So don't lose sight as you look at this that there's a competition between the two. JEDI and MillCloud 2.0 are intended to be complementary. Second question, but you got that dang cloud security re requirements guide out there. We're up to version 3.0, and it's very prescriptive in how we do business. It was intended to be prescriptive when we started this, but it will continue to evolve such that we can maximize the opportunities while operating at an acceptable level of risk. But you guys have an opportunity to tell us what are the new ways of doing this and what opportunities are ahead of us from a security aspect. It's no longer 
I won't say no longer or Roger will kill me. It is less about protecting the boundary of the network and the physical limitations. It's more about protecting the data and exposing it to the individuals and functions who need it on a real-time basis. This is about capturing best practices that you guys bring that can help us. Third question, risk management framework. Many of you that were at the APSEA event last week heard me say, okay, Chris, I got you, I hear you. He told me my comment should be just blow it away. Uh, don't quote me on that one. Little less, we're going to turn it on its side is a better way I like to say it. I get it, over 600 controls. I get it, a cumbersome process. I get it that it is very compliance and artifact based. The, we have an opportunity to reshape how we're doing this, to make it more agile, more responsive, and then determine how best this applies to a commercial environment or enhance our opportunities to take advantage of commercial capabilities. Cloud computing enables the department to consolidate infrastructure, leverage IT commodity functions, eliminate functional redundancies while improving continuity of operations. Many of you have shareholders that you have to please and getting or winning this opportunity I think would be a great one to do that. But I don't want you to lose sight of the reason we're doing it. This is about increased effectiveness and capability, but most importantly, to me, this is about life and limb. So if you listen closely to what Dave Crum is saying, it's I have a responsibility to make sure as you are bringing capabilities, commercial capabilities for us to maximize, that I can still operate in a secure environment, that I have the flexibility and the agility to enable warfighting operations. So I ask that as you look at the opportunity in front of you, don't shrug the security piece, but help me to find a balance between operational effectiveness, efficiency, and risk. That was Essie Miller, the Acting DOD Chief Information Officer. And now we hear from Lieutenant Colonel Kate Myers, the Jedi Cloud Computing Program Manager. Obviously the first step is this acquisition effort that we're focusing on today. Another critical step is creating a program office that can most effectively manage such a unique effort and integrate it into the fabric of how we in the DOD do business. Nothing about how the department is running this program is traditional, and so neither will be the program office that runs it. The DOD's Cloud Computing Program Office will be a mix of users, operators, engineers, acquisition professionals, and process experts. This functionally diverse program office will be designed to optimize the benefits of the JEDI cloud. As such, it will be constructed to understand both the user's needs and their obstacles. And we will have the resources and flexibility to address those and adapt if necessary. We will actively hunt down any impediments to user success whether they be operational, logical, policy-based, they may be cultural, or even just a fear of change. We will identify those obstacles and work across the enterprise to tear down barriers while maintaining security, to better understand the concerns, 
and work to enable mission success for this foundational technology. As you have seen this morning, we have broad support across the department, and we are excited at the high priority and attention this effort is receiving. Standing up the program office under the chief management officer is a clear indication that the department is taking an entirely different approach to this acquisition. This program is directly accountable to implement Secretary Mattis and Deputy Secretary Shanahan's vision for accelerating enterprise cloud adoption and establishing a culture of experimentation, adaptation, and risk-taking to bring critical capabilities to the DOD and the warfighter. But what really matters and the way we will make this program truly successful is by understanding the meaning and the intent behind them and doing what makes sense to achieve that intent. To that end, we are not just tailoring the acquisition process for Jedi Cloud, but also revisiting and sometimes reimagining the processes around access and user adoption. We'll eliminate unnecessary restrictions and cumbersome processes to make cloud services more accessible and readily available to all across the DOD. With this effort, we will also implement a self-service automated provisioning tool as a key enabler to that rapid access and adoption. We are already working to develop this tool and expect a minimally viable product by JEDI Award. The tool will have built-in controls and oversight for security, billing, and usage, and will be designed to maximize security, ease of use, and develop common standards to take full advantage of cloud services. This tool will be provided by the government, and it will integrate with the provider system through modern APIs. Through this tool, the department will be able to manage a lot of the back-end business processes and implementation of appropriate security policies in an automated fashion rather than manually. Self-service automation to access cloud services in a secure and efficient manner is critical to enabling users to focus their resources on their primary mission. Now, we know that the benefits of commercial cloud are considerable. So once the JEDI cloud becomes a reality, the next step will be to validate that mission capability and optimize the contract to maximize the benefits of the JEDI cloud environment. We will do this through some Vanguard users and their applications and use those to inform and help build our lessons learned and grow our user playbook for others across the DOD to follow. Let's take a break. That was Lieutenant Colonel Kate Myers, the Jedi Cloud Computing Program Manager. Before that, you heard from Essie Miller, the acting DOD CIO. Today, I'm playing excerpts from the DOD Jedi Cloud Industry Day. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, we're focusing on the Defense Department's desired move to the commercial cloud. For this part of the show, I talked with Alfred Rivera, the recently retired DISA executive who ran its cloud effort, for some analysis about the JEDI approach. Alfred, thank you for taking the time today, and this is in many ways an exit interview. Thanks, Jason. You retired from federal service back in late December, early January timeframe. There's plenty to catch up. But before we go down that path, I'm going to start with the JEDI cloud effort. This has gotten a lot of attention, a lot of, of interest from the federal community. So let me start with some initial thoughts of the cloud, DOD, the path they've been going down. G- give me some initial thoughts about this entire effort, not just JEDI, but the cloud effort that you've seen and you saw while you are at DISA. Well, with respect to the JEDI cloud, 
cloud effort. One of the things that I, I really do wish, uh, you know, success for the Department of Defense. So I think, you know, the concepts and the ideas of a cloud offering to to quickly support how they describe, you know, the missions, meeting mission requirements and, and being responsive to the, the mission partner. I applaud them for that. And I think that's a great uh, objective and goal. What I hope for, and I hope to continue to review and seek out as, as this acquisition goes forward, is to recognize that I don't think one size fits all within the Department of Defense. You know, one of the things I'm really concerned about has always been, you know, there is a, the Department of Defense is a heterogeneous environment, and so I don't think one size fits all. And I think it's evident just by virtue of what we had done over in DISA with our cloud efforts. Um, you know, we tried our best to standardize on a single foundational architecture. And with MillCloud 1.0, we were able to achieve that pretty successfully. But there was a lot of mission partners that still didn't seamlessly migrate to MillCloud 1.0 easily. Those that lived in the legacy world have a large challenge in trying to, to make their their solutions cloud-enabled. But those that were already at the, in, a, in a later state of architecture, they were using different you know, middleware, different platform-as-a-service solutions. And so trying to bring them into a foundational architecture just wasn't always successful. What's unclear about this is they said single award IDIQ. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean a single cloud, does it? You're right. I actually don't, don't, I don't think it believes, because uh, some of the words I was reading uh, don't necessarily imply a single uh, cloud itself. It could be a combination of clouds, especially as we, uh, as we address different domains, security domains. But I'm, I'm still concerned because of the words I'm hearing and some of the language on a foundation, a single foundation. So I don't really know what that means. And I think as we get further down into the, R, you know, when the RFP is released, what, what will that really entail? But again, going back, I really think my concern here is, and I'm not hearing it from anybody, is what are the mission partners telling them? What are the mission partners telling them in terms of these are the kind of solutions that we're looking for? And so I'm hoping that dialogue is occurring with uh, the JEDI acquisition team. The other piece that falls into this, and I think it fits in well with what you're saying, is this idea of, of migration. And one of the things that DOD and, and some of the folks from DIUX told us during a call with reporters recently is that using multiple different clouds was just too cumbersome, it was too difficult, and getting to a single, as you said, foundation, a single single framework, that, that's, that had to be easier. You guys seem to have tried that in, as you said, MillCloud 1.0, and it wasn't any easier. No, I think it, it it isn't because you know you have to you have to you have to get to some kind of found basis, and there's no question if you're going to get some economic savings or realize some savings associated, you got to get to some kind of a basis or foundation. And and I think what the challenge is, and it, I experienced it for many years, both with MillCloud One, and we're going to experience it with MillCloud 2.0, is not everybody fits into that single foundation. So the migration piece of this, the help, supporting the migrations of moving customers to either a, a finite set of foundations is going to still be a challenge. You know, there are customers that have legacy applications out there that are not even clearly cloud-enabled or cloud-ready, and there are some that are probably close to it, but they're not using the same framework or architecture. And so there may be some work to help them move to it, and I think that's where the the win is, regardless of if it's JEDI or if it's the current cloud implementations, is helping that customer understand how to move that application. What were the, some of the things as you guys were working on MillCloud 1.0 that came up during those migrations? For instance, did you find that the Mission X 
that migration couldn't happen to 1.0 because of what reasons many, many times? I know everyone was um, different. I think some of the things are that, um, you know, when you get to, up to the middleware piece, not necessarily the infrastructure as a service piece, you started seeing different solution sets that they were using or their vendor had uh, used as part of their initial implementation. And that wasn't part of the, again, going back to the word foundation, it wasn't part of the foundation. So we either had to adopt something in the middleware level or we have to uh, migrate them to something that was that met the, st- the baseline or the foundation. So those were some of some of the examples. I think the other ones were simply just the complexity of some of the applications. One of the biggest challenges we had was some of these applications were so distributed in terms of, you know, uh, how they address their presentation layer, how they address their their database layer, how they address the, 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 the basis of the application. And so how do you pull all those together into a cloud was a challenge. ERPs are a very good example of that. As we migrate, as we start looking at enterprise resource planning applications for these large back-end business systems and large back-end uh, office applications, how those are distributed and how they're built initially will will drive how they seamlessly move into a cloud architecture. And when those migrations went were more difficult than initially thought. Would that was that a cost issue? Was that a time issue? Was that did people start giving up? What what happened when you said, "Hey, let's move to Mill Cloud One," and the mission partner said, "Yeah, let's do this," and they realized, "Oh my goodness, this there's these ten obstacles I still have to overcome." What what started to happen? Nobody really said no. We weren't going to do it. I think it was just actually recognizing that these are some of the obstacles. It was a good example of you know everyone wants to move, but yet we haven't really sat down to think about okay, what are the second and third effects of moving to that application or moving to the cloud. And so I don't think there was nobody coming back and saying, well, I can't do it. It's in the too hard to do category. It was, all right, well, let's take a step back and figure out what are some of the steps that we need to accomplish. I think some of the other challenges, like you said, you mentioned, was what were the economics behind it? If you had to change middleware solutions, let's say change uh, databases to another database, were there programmatic issues that had to be addressed? And some of those, we did have those kind of challenges. But, but in essence, I don't think nobody ever said no. I think it was more of, okay, we didn't think about this and we have to take a step back and move forward with uh, a different transition. When you read through the draft RFP, did other things stand out to you? It was around Jedi. Was there anything that was just raised red flags or the opposite raised people green flags that, wow, this is really smart? I'm still in the process of uh, drilling into the uh, draft RFP just for my own sake. Um, nothing has really stand out to say, oh, this is a non-starter. I am concerned about, and it's, it's not really clear in the RFP, is the discussion of the austere environments and how they're going to address the uh, the resiliency of austere environments. I know they talked about it at the summit, and uh, I'm not I'm not really I haven't got to the point where we I understand how they're going to address, which I think is a very important piece of this is addressing those austere environments that are globally there that are uh, affect the mission partner globally. One of the things that DoD said at this event was that the MoCloud and Jedi efforts are complementary. Do you, do you get that feeling too, or is there a little you know white whitewash being thrown over this these efforts? There is somewhat complementary because if you think about it, you know the mail cloud is no different than you know in the terms of putting putting providing a infrastructure as a service and platform as a service offering to our mission partners. The difference is are obviously are we purposely went with an on-prem 
solution because we wanted to make sure that we were, one, addressing that security and that implementation umbrella around MailCloud 2.0. And what I mean by that is that we've worked really hard in building that security umbrella and securing applications both in our data centers as well as across the, uh, the whole DISN, and we wanted to use that same infrastructure to secure any of the cloud solutions that we put into our ecosystem, use that same security umbrella. Also, we have a robust, under the DISA umbrella, we have a robust implementation and sustainment team that will help customers migrate this. And I think that's a value proposition that MailCloud 2.0 still does offer, is that we have smart folks in DISA that will help our mission partners migrate to that, and that's one of the opportunities they have. So from a complementary perspective, they're both infrastructure as a service. They're both offer a platform basis foundation, but I don't know specifically the details on how they're going to support migration grading the customers and all that stuff. And when you say they, you mean the Jedi effort? How, how Jedi, they... yeah, the Jedi uh, implementation team. Yeah. The other thing that stands out to me is if you have MillCloud 2.0, is it the fact is that that's on-prem and then you're going to have this commercial uh, offering as well? Uh, and that's really the main difference here. Otherwise, they're very, going to be very similar, it seems like. It all depends on what ends up becoming the uh, the offering by the, the the vendor community. Are they going to offer multiple solutions like we just talked about earlier? There's going to be multiple cloud offerings based on you know types of scenarios that would be a, a described in the RFP, or is it going to be a single solution like MillCloud 2.0, which will be distributed across the ecosystem, but it's a one single solution using a standard foundational architecture? When you were at DISA, did you have a chance to talk to the CIA? Did you talk to them about their Amazon cloud? A lot of people in the community are really worried that this is just duty copying what the CIA did. Did you guys ever look into it at all at DISA? We did. We talked to the CIA. We also talked to, as they were moving forward with beyond just the top secret, but uh, other security environments like uh, the, the secret environment that was being uh, developed by um, the, I, the IC community also. So we did spend a lot of time talking about it, but I don't think we were really in the context of it. It wasn't in the specific details that you know the uh, C2S was providing and why they did it that way. So uh, not to the extent that I think people are, are, are assuming um, uh, this becoming a, another AWS solution. Do you think that's a fair concern in the industry, that this is just going to be another AWS solution? To be honest with you, I don't know because I'm not biased toward an AWS solution or not. I think there's other opportunities out there that are just as, as robust. I think as people, as each of these uh, vendor communities start becoming more secure in putting their capabilities out there and, and addressing some of the security issues that we've put upon the vendor community, I think you're going to see an equal um, playing field out there. Is the answer to the Jedi in some ways a cloud broker model or some sort of model where it's an integrator with multiple clouds underneath them? I mean, based on what we've talked about, what you've said, that seems to be the logical path. A lot of people are thinking that it's probably going to be a broker simply because if they do offer multiple solutions, there's going to be somebody who has to broker or help integrate or help support the determination of where these applications would go. And that becomes a challenge. I know we've talked about that years ago in DISA uh, on how we would do a broker solution. And it raises a lot of concerns because then you put the government in the middle of determining which applications go where. And then, of course, that the follow-on revenue issues associated with that. So it'll be interesting to see how the government stands up to a, a broker model if that ends up becoming the solution for JEDI. The other piece to this is the anxiety that this whole Jedi event is is creating. You know, when you go and talk to different vendors, 
who's not Amazon, to be honest, there's a lot of, well, I hope they don't do it this way. I really have a lot of concern. You talk to associations. Uh, Alfred, you spent 36-plus years in government. You've dealt with industry. You know how they get. What advice would you give to DOD to say, hey, this is how maybe you should relieve some tension or, or deal with some concerns? Any words of wisdom? The bottom line is, and I've, I've experienced this with my recent acquisi- uh, work in the acquisitions uh, with programs like SETI, is the communications. I think the lack of communications that was, has been going on until just recently has, been, has made the vendor community concern, has caused this concern. I think we need to you know, change the model of you know, uh, you know, this binary model of not talking to the vendor community as we think about what we want to do. There's got to be more than just industry, one industry data. There's got to be continuous dialogue until that RFP goes out on what is the DOD thinking about and why we're thinking this way and getting input from the industry. If we're going to look at industry to be a provider of this capability and, 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 and provide the innovation behind all that, they need to be part of kind of the dialogue. And I think that's what's probably the challenge that's going on right now with JEDI. And I'm hoping and I'm, I'm very optimistic that they're going to continue to go forward with, beyond this industry day and continue to talk to uh, the community before that RFP goes out. All right, Alfred, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can then talk about your career at DISA and the reasons you retired and what are you doing now. My guest is Alfred Rivera, the former Defense Information Systems Agency Director of Development and Business, and now Principal for Breakwater Solutions. I'm your host, Jason Miller. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Alfred Rivera, the former Defense Information Systems Agency's Director of Development and Business and current principal for Breakwater Solutions. Alfred, before break, we talked a lot about the Jedi Cloud and, and really what's going on at DOD. Let's shift gears now and talk about you and your decision to retire and what are you doing now? January, it was 35 years with the Department of Defense, which you know I, I consider probably the best 35 years. Really enjoyed working for uh, the department as well as you know with the endpoint being supporting the warfighter, and I, I've always enjoyed that. So I enjoyed that, but I, I knew there was a point in time where I think I can go beyond just uh, you know the support beyond just supporting the warfighter and help others. And so I decided at this point in time that it was ready to uh, to take a leap and uh, and try something new and, and start my next chapter of my life. What is coming next for you? What what is Breakwater Solutions? I think I left at the high point of my career. I think I I had accomplished quite a few and bit, quite a bit. And so, what Breakwater Solutions is is really kind of taking my expertise, my knowledge, the 35 years of working with the department, and kind of sharing that information with others. And and what can I do to help them both in acquisition, in technology, as well as uh, how, how to work with others in terms of collaborating and and, and synchronizing efforts. I, I've worked for so many years, not only within the department and mission partners, but with a lot of the vendor community, and, and I think I can help in other ways of uh, contributing to uh, the needs of the warfighter. Are your customers vendors, your customers government, or yes? Well, it's a combination of both. I'm, uh, you know, obviously right now I've got a couple of customers that are in the vendor community, but I'm really... I, hoping that as I continue to move forward on this, that I can start working directly with mission partners and and, and helping them uh, understand how they can, one, interface with the industry, but also where can I help them in terms of process improvements and, and things that I've learned over the last 35 years and, and from, a, from a consulting perspective. Let's talk about your career in government. When you look back, uh, so you worked at DOD for all 35 years, but it wasn't all at DISA. Walk me through your career a little bit. Where else did you work? So 
I uh, started actually as an intern when I was at the University of Arizona back in 1983, and uh, I started as an uh, as an intern uh, for the United States Army Information Systems Engineering Command, and then eventually took a permanent position there when I graduated from Arizona as a satellite engineer, and slowly moved up the ranks as an engineer and focused started mo- focusing more on uh, computing and and systems engineering. And at that point in 1992, when DISA was created after the Defense Management Review decisions back in '92, uh, I, uh, I was asked to come over to uh, to lead, uh, become one of the chief engineers of the new computing centers that were being capitalized under DISA. And so I came over here as a, to DISA in 1992, took over as chief engineer, and then eventually became the chief technology officer for many years, and then in 2012 became the director of that community centers and was there for 12 years until such time as I took over the development and business center. So uh, a large aspect of, of my career has been focused on computing, systems engineering, and of course migrating what was essentially a large number of data centers into DISA, into the robust ecosystem we have right now. And when you look back at some of your accomplishments, what, what stands out to you? What are you most proud of? Probably the three biggest things I'm proud of is we changed the way we bought things for the data centers. You know, what was always a traditional acquisition where we buy things, let the, you know, appreciate, depreciated them and then bought the next generation, which was almost like a stair-step approach of acquisition. We moved toward a capacity on demand strategy, which allowed us to buy as we needed it, buy uh, on demand. And that really changed the way we started doing computing. It was a, it was a partnership between the vendors and, and DISA and how we were able to, uh, to quickly acquire capability as we needed it. We never had any excess on the floor or in our books. And therefore, it, was, it, was, it also helped from an economic perspective in dropping our rates and becoming more efficient as well as uh, cap- able to support our mission, our warfighters on, uh, as needed. And then I think what that led to, obviously, moving us toward enterprise services and, and the DOD asking DISA to lead some of these efforts. And my biggest accomplishment, I think, from that perspective was when, you know, I partnered with the Army and, and led the effort to um, build the defense enterprise email solution for the department. And so when we partnered with the D, uh, the Army, we were, you know, used, not only using capacity services, but just the, the, the smart engineers from DISA putting together a solution with our Microsoft partners and others to build an enterprise email system that was bigger than anything else in the globe uh, and, uh, and successful at that. So that was probably my second biggest thing. And the third is just, you know, the ability to uh, work very closely with mission partners and understanding how we not have this over-the-fence requirements process and how do we change the way we, we talk to our warfighters so that we were more responsive. So those three things I think were the, my highlights, I think, uh, in, in my career, and I feel that I've been able to, to make a change in the department through some of these things. So I got the opportunity to cover the Defense Enterprise Email Solution for years, and it was definitely one of those programs where, you know, from an outsider's perspective, we said, uh-oh, what's DISA trying to do here, and what's the Army trying to do? And there were some, you know, fits and starts, and you had some challenges, but in the end, it's probably one of the, the biggest accomplishments that you could point to, not just for Alfred Rivera, but really for DOD over the last, you know, 20 years. Why do you think it worked? Starts because, of course, we never realized how big and how challenging that would be. What made it work was really a combination of dedication between us, our customer, you know, the DISA, as well as the Army, committed to 
together to make this a success. You know, we, we knew that if we didn't, if one of us did not want to play in this in this game, we, we would fail. And I think the leadership of the Army and the leadership of DISA working together, we were able to, like, pull the right people together. And then, of course, working with the vendors. I mean, the vendor community just stood up and said, we want to make this a success because we they knew that it was, it was a triumvirate of folks who had to work together to make this a success. And I don't think if, if any one of, the, one of those three legs to this uh, chair had stopped or decided not to play, we would not have been as successful as we were. It's interesting because one of the changes that, you you know, as we watched this happen, we kept waiting for the Air Force and the Marines and the Navy to jump on board. And, and they were a little slow to jump on board. Did you ever get a sense of why they weren't as quick to say, okay, we'll follow the Army's lead? I think there was a lot of politics involved and a lot of decisions that had to be made between all the services. And the goodness is, I think there was a lot of gain from the Army in this, and they saw the real, they, they, they realized significant amount of savings. I think they were almost able to realize an annual savings of over $80 million a year by moving to a single email system uh, across the globe. And I just don't think that we were able to, like, uh, grab that, that data for the rest of the services. And so there was some level of reluctance. This has been a fascinating conversation. Before I let you go, do you have any advice to others in the, in the IT acquisition communities across DOD, across the government? You talked about communication. You talked about, you know, meeting the needs of the warfighters. Uh, any other advice you would offer? Yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, people uh, wrestle with nowadays, you hear the dialogue a lot, is how does innovation fall into this process? I think one of the things we need to start thinking about it, is, and the, or the government needs to think about it, as well as our partners in industry, is how do you bring innovation together and how do you make it uh, a, a, a dialogue between us so that we can bring innovation to the warfighter? Um, everybody talks about it. Everybody says we need to have innovation, but we haven't really codified or figured out how that, how that process is going to work. I know Jedi is one of those ones that keeps bringing the topic up too. But all the time, I think innovation is going to be, you know, if we're going to be continuing to respond to our, our mission partners, we need to think about how we do things differently. And it's not just technology. It's how we begin, how we communicate with them, how do we change processes that were responsive to them, um, all those aspects uh, to include bringing the right folks into the uh, into government to, to respond to them. Very good advice and, and very helpful. Hopefully others will, will heed that advice. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest, Alfred Rivera, the former Defense Information Systems Agency's Director of Development and Business and current principal for Breakwater Solutions. Alfred, thank you so much for your time today, and thank you for the, your service to the country. Thank you, Jason. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes. 